family, you're fine with me. The book of Acts, chapter 12, we'll begin to read in verse 1. And this morning I want to speak to you on this subject, dealing with hardship while on mission. Dealing with hardship while on mission. Acts, chapter 12, we'll begin to read in verse 1. I'll invite you to stand, all those that can and are able, in honor and reverence for the reading of God's Word. When Acts, chapter 12, begin to read in verse 1, the Bible says these words, Now about... That time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some of the church. And then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he further uh, proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and the light shone in the prison, and he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Gird yourself, tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. And he went out and followed him and did not know that was, which was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. And when they were past the first and second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord, and they went out and went down the street, and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from the expectation of the Jewish people. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, and there were many gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. And when she recognized Peter's voice because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. But they said to her, You're beside yourself. Yet she keep insisting that it was so. And they said, It is his angel. Now Peter continued knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But motioning to them with his hand to keep silent, he declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, Go tell these things to James and the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. Let's pray together. Father, we ask, God, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us. Father, there are so many things that the devil would try to use to steal away uh, what it is you want to do in our hearts today. Uh, God, there's so many things that are going on in the world, in individual people's lives, God, that weigh down on us. It's, it's like an over, a constant overcast day. God, if we're not careful, we can bring that into us, with us, uh, as we come into a place of worship like this. God, I pray we'll just let the light of your word and your love just burn all that away today. And Father, I pray for just these next few minutes with, with, with an intent and expectant heart, uh, God, we'll focus on you and the voice of your Holy Spirit. I pray if there's one here, God, who's never been saved, 
God, very specifically, we pray that they'll turn and receive Christ today. God, as we as your disciples continue and endeavor to seek to live on mission in these days, remind us from your word today, hardships and trials, God, will come. God, one of these days we're going to be done with all of that. But until then, God, we have to keep serving. I pray that, Lord, through your word today, Father, we'll see some things that we can do to face hardship and face trials as we're living on mission. And through it all, God, the gospel will be furthered and you'll receive all the glory. It's in Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. And I'll invite you to be seated. Well, time has passed since Pentecost and the church continues to grow. The gospel is going forward and the church had suffered much persecution uh, during those early days uh, as the church sought to live on mission, much from uh, the Judaic religious leaders of the day. But now Herod uh, begins to join in. Rome is now getting involved. Herod was hated by the Jews. Uh, but it says early on here that he stretched out his hand to harass some of the church. Verse 2 says that he even killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. You know, hardship and adversity is one thing. But friend, when they start killing you, it takes it to a whole different level. And so now the people, because of their faith in Christ moving forward on mission, again, standing in, in, in direct contrast to the teaching, the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, uh, they were now facing death because of this. Well, Herod, being the politician that he was, and not much different than the day in which we're living in, he saw that it was a good political move for him. He really didn't care about the church. It was just all about politics and what would be advantageous for him. And so now Rome is involved in the persecution of the church. It really just seems that all's lost, uh, that now the government's involved. I mean, really, I mean, you, what, what happened to James? Well, he was preaching the gospel, and they told him to stop. Well, did he stop? No, he didn't stop. He just kept living on mission. Well, what happened to him? They came and they killed him. Well, then that person, I said, well, they said they're going to do the same to us. And so now they're, they're dealing with hardship while they're seeking to live on mission. The mission did not change, Matthew 28, 19 through 20, Acts 1, 8. They were still to be his witnesses as they were going. But now there was organized hardship. Now there was an enemy that had manifested itself through these people. And Paul says through Ephesians 6, remember, it's not the person, it's the devil. Your real fight's never going to be the person that's in front of you. It's the devil that's living through them. And so they had to learn, though, how to deal with the hardship because they had to continue to be faithful moving forward. It seemed as if all was hopeless and all was lost. You know, maybe I'm the only person here that thinks this, but there, there are times as you watch the news today and you look at the world scene, you just deal, it seems like we're living in a day that's just hopeless to be successful in great commission work. Am I, anybody ever feel that way? You know, uh, well, they felt that way in that day. You know, you as an individual may be facing a situation today that just seems absolutely hopeless. Your family may be going through a trial or a hardship right now, and it just seems like a dark day that you'll never, you'll never get through. Just talking with other pastors and people that, you know, really are daily focused on the in and out ministries of the local church. It just, it's, it's a very difficult day for ministry uh, within the local church. Our nation, I mean, friend, I, I can't even recognize the country in which 
We're living. If, if my grandparents who fought through World War II and lived through it, if you brought them back today and sat them down in modern America, they wouldn't even recognize the country that we're living in. And it seems like absolute hopelessness in around the world. Well, there's things that we need to remember when we're dealing with hardship as we live on mission. We need to be reminded of this. Don't forget that the mission hasn't changed. It'll never change until we step into Christ's presence by grave or air. We're to be faithful in Great Commission living. And as we move forward, we're going to deal with hardship. These are some things that we can do and we need to remember. Number one, as we're dealing with hardship while we live on mission, you need to trust in God's plan. You need to trust in God's plan. You need to remember, friend, that everything that makes its way into your life, it passed through the hand of God. It was either His perfect will or His permissive will. He either designed it or He allowed it. There's nothing that can come into your life that God couldn't have stopped if He wanted to. And we need to be, we need to be reminded of that. Herod Agrippa I was the grandson of Herod the Great. That's the Herod that we're talking about. It's the, the Herod we're reading about here in Acts chapter 12. It's, it's not the one uh, from the birth of Christ. But this is his, his grandson. Uh, Herod the Great was the one who had killed all the babies. Remember in Matthew chapter 2, verse 16, as the wise men came and he was trying to discern about Jesus and they went the other direction, he said, well, I mean, I know an easy way to fix this. You know, when you see poison oak growing out in your flower beds, there's an easy way to fix it. You know, you just get round up and you go spray it. You don't lose any sleep over it. Nothing morally wrong about spraying some weed killer on poison oak. You know, you got mice underneath your house. Put a mouse trap. Get, you know, if you're a mouse lover, come trap all the ones that are at my place live and take them to yours. And you can have them. But you've got a problem, you do it. Well, you know, Herod had a problem. You know, I need to deal with this threat to my throne. So he just said, all the, all the male children from two years old and down, I want you to go stick a knife in them and kill them. That's how heartless he was. You know, we don't think anything about spraying Roundup on poison oak. But this guy didn't think anything about taking every male child two years old and down and just killing them. That's how far sin had taken men's minds. Well, this was the grandson of him. This was the family tradition. So he just killed James for nothing. That's the, that's the hardship that they're living under. So now James has been killed. Remember in Luke 5, Jesus called this. This is one of Peter's fishing buddies. James and John. I mean, they grew up together. They'd fished together. They surrendered to ministry together. They'd sat at Jesus' feet. Now he's dead. James, I mean, he's, he's dead. And now Peter's in prison. He's in maximum security prison. But friend, you need to understand, God saw all these things. He wasn't surprised by it. Has it ever occurred to you that there's nothing that's ever occurred to God? God's never sat on his throne and said, Oh, I didn't see that coming. Well, I never thought that that would happen. God knew everything. He saw all of this. And he knew about it. He's the God of all knowledge. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 12 says, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. From the time you get up, friend, to the time you wake up the next day, God's eyes are always upon you. You know, I always say from the time you get up to the time you go to bed, friend, God doesn't stop while you're asleep. 
He doesn't sleep. He doesn't slumber. He's always watching you. As you seek to live for Him, friend, His hand is upon you. His eyes upon you. I remember when our children began to, to grow and to walk and to develop and we'd take them to a playground. We would let them begin to, to wander out. But you know, Melissa and I just didn't go sit in the truck and drink coffee and say, well, we'll be back in an hour. We sat over in the corner and we watched them, every move. And every time they'd slip, we'd, we'd jump and move. They're all right, they're all right. And then we'd have to, you know, go and come get them down the slide and then we'd go sit back. God's always watching you. There's nothing that happens. And what Satan wants to do is cause you think, you know, well, I feel so alone. No one loves me. No one cares about me. So I'm going to have to resort to this to find comfort. I'm going to have to find solace in this ungodly relationship. I'm going to have to turn to this substance to find the relief that I need. Because if God truly loved me and God truly cared about me, then this, this wouldn't have happened. Friend, God never promised us that our lives would be free of hardship. Rather, quite the opposite. Jesus said, in this world, you'll have, you're, you're going to have tribulation. But be of good cheer, for I've overcome the world. He says, you can, you can, you're going to be able to, you can't do anything without me. John 15, 5. But through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who does strengthen me. So today we, we need to be reminded to trust in God's plan. When hardships and challenges come into our life, though it's not what we would have designed, we need to be reminded that God has a purpose in this. It didn't surprise him. It didn't sneak up on him. He's allowed it. Psalm 121 verse 4 says, Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. John 10, 10, I've come that they might have life and life more abundantly. And sometimes when hardship comes, it doesn't feel too abundant. Can I get a witness? So if this is abundant, I'd hate to know what bad is. Friend, we've got to be reminded that we look at the moment. God looks at everything. Uh, one of the things I used to, though I can't do it, one of the things I enjoyed doing uh, when I was little, there was a, a guy that had a big bushy head of hair, uh, Bob Ross. Anybody know? I'm talking about the painter. You know, just guy, you know, never, never had a bad day in his life, just always pleasant. And he would, well, he'd have that canvas there, right? And he would put all these palette of colors there, and he would begin to paint. On that, and he he would always get you know you remember Van Dyke Brown and all these different things, and he would start scraping. I was like, what is he gonna do? How's he got? And then he would he would oh let's put a happy little tree right here, and I said, well, how are you gonna get a tree out of that? All I saw was the mark, but if you sat back, friend, the master painter would just keep adding paint. It's like oh, that's what that was for. I can't speak for you. But I look back over my life, and now I can sit back on the other side, and I can see little individual moments. I say, God, why did you let that happen? Why, when I'm in the middle, why is this happening? How, you know, Romans 8, 28 says that you're going to work all this out. This doesn't feel good. How is this going to work out for good? But can I just say years down the road, as God continues to add paint to the picture, I can stand back on the other side and say, God, I see it now. You were at work. I couldn't see it then because of the hardship, but you were at work. You were painting a masterpiece. You work all things out for good for the purpose of Romans 8, 29, that through it all, I'll look less like me and more like Jesus Christ. 
And so when hardship comes from you, you need to remember to, to trust God's plan. He, he has a purpose. He loves you, and whatever hardship that's going on in your life or those that are around you, God has a plan, and God has a purpose. He sees, He knows, and He's at work. I want friend, that takes faith. You know, when the doctor comes in and says cancer, that takes faith. When you hear the word, they just died. That takes faith. When you hear, you know, well, the money's gone. That takes faith. When that child or grandchild you love, when you get the report, they've gone the other direction. It takes faith. But God has a plan, and God has a work, and it, it, it takes faith. Number two, which we face adversity while we're living on mission, we need to be reminded to tell our needs to God. Tell our needs to God. Trust God's plan, but tell your needs to God. When, when you get in that crunch situation, you're de- what's, the, what's the problem here? Well, James is dead. Can't do He's in the presence of Christ. He wouldn't come back if we could. But now Peter's in prison. If, they put, if James has been killed, Peter's in prison. They're just waiting to kill him. Now all the church is thinking, who's next? Am I next? Who's next? And so they have... They have a need. There's nowhere else on earth to turn, so turn to heaven. And so begin to request prayer from other brothers and sisters in Christ. Jeremiah chapter 33 and verse 3 says this. God says, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. That's God's invitation to us. God says, just call to me. Anytime, just, just call to me. Uh, in the process of closing out one home and trying to move to another, we've had to call different people and entities and this, this utility and this service. And I just say one of the most frustrating things is, you know, is getting this, your call is very important to us. Please stay on the line. Your call will be answered in the order in which it was received. If you would like to receive a callback call in lieu of waiting, please insert it. Just so frustrating, you know. But, you know, there are other people that have needs. It's not the end of the world. You'll be nice to the people you can because who you're talking to may be lost. You just sit and wait. But, but it's so frustrating when you need to talk to somebody and you can't get through. Friend, I'm so glad there's, there's never a busy signal when you call heaven. I mean, you can always get straight through. Well, how are we to pray? How are we to take our concerns to the Lord? Well, the Bible tells us this here, that Peter's been arrested. And so the Bible says in verse number 5, Peter was therefore kept in prison. But look what the Bible says. But constant prayer, verse 5 says, was offered to God for him by the church. And so the Bible says, first off, it was constant prayer. They prayed ceaselessly. They prayed without ceasing. They didn't just hit it once, God bless all the missionaries, and then move on. They gave themselves to prayer. They knew there was nothing they could do to free Peter from prison, and so they turned to the one that they knew could act. They didn't even know if it was God's will that he would be freed. But they knew that they were going to ask. And so they prayed ceaselessly. That word in the Greek literally means stretched out. They, they truly they humbled themselves. I mean, they gave themselves to the request. Luke 22 and verse 44, As Christ 
prayed in the garden. The Bible says he prayed more earnestly. That is, so much so, friend, that he sweat great drops of blood. I mean, listen, prayer, true, real prayer will wear you out. It is the number one spiritual discipline where Satan will attack you most and where I would submit to you, most people are the most immature in their walk with Christ, is the discipline of prayer. Because real prayer will wear you out. Because you constantly have things that are driving into your mind that you've got to drive out and focus on what it is that you're talking to God about and then just being still and listening to Him. I, mean, I again, can't speak for you. But when I give myself to prayer, things like, you know, did you pay the water bill? Come to your mind. Don't you have a dentist appointment this week? Don't, don't, don't the kids have a math test this week? Now, did you ever call them? Don't, don't they have surgery this week? <clears throat> and get back. Does anybody, does anybody know what I'm talking about? More earnestly. The Bible says they, they just continued to give this, but constant prayer. It wasn't just, you know, well, did, are there any other prayer requests? All right, you know, Brother, brother, brother Bill, you, you pray for Well, Lord, we want to remember Peter. Amen. Well, how have you been? Good. Good, I know. I'm ready to get rid of these masks too. Yes. Fellowship, good. How are the kids? Great. It wasn't just a, a one and done. They, they constantly had Peter on their heart and on their mind, but it's what Peter represented. It was Satan working through people to thwart, to seek to thwart the, the effectiveness of the Great Commission mission that they were giving themselves to. And so they just continued to go to God. God, we need you to clear the way. It's not just Peter, God, it's what it represents. Would you clear the way and would you give us success over the enemy? And so they continued to yield themselves. They did it ceaselessly. They prayed as if there was nothing left to do. And I've shared with you, the old-timers where I grew up says, they prayed like the woods were on fire. And you can't do anything to stop it. God killed the fire. They prayed. But not only did they pray ceaselessly, they prayed corporately. Look what the Bible says again in verse number 5. But, but constant prayer was offered to God to, for him by the church. The whole church was involved in it. The, as, as a family, everyone recognized the need. They knew where the source was who could act, the only source. And, and they gave themselves to it. But to, for it to be effective, friend, two things had to be involved. Number one, they had to be saved. It's possible people can join themselves to a body of believers that, that group together. But friend, the only way you can become part of the family of God is to be born again into the family of God. And if you've never been saved, you hear this from newscasters all the time. You know, there'll be a school shooting, and, it's, and that's terrible. But Oh, prayers, a bus rolls over, you know, prayers being offered, our, our thoughts and prayers are with you. Well, can I just say, friend, unless that person's been born again, that means nothing. Absolutely nothing. Why? Because Isaiah 59, 2, your sins have separated you from God. And again, Ephesians 2 says, friend, that you who were dead in trespasses and sin, a dead person can't do anything. No one, prayer is made through the Spirit, not the body. It's in the Spirit that we pray. If a person doesn't have spiritual life, there's nothing that can happen. So for, for their, and, and a lot of times I've heard people say before, you know, well, I just don't feel anything when I, when I pray. Well, a dead person doesn't feel anything. 
That may be something to ask. You know, God, I, my, when I pray, it's always just, it just feels dead and dull. You might want to check to see if you've ever been saved. I'm not trying to scare anybody into a decision, but it's something to think about. But not only are you to be saved, but you're to be sanctified. They're just to be said they're to be clean. Psalm 66, verse 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, God says, I will not hear you. God says, if you've got unconfessed sin in your life as a believer, I will not hear your prayer until you deal with it. You've got to deal with this sin first. Thank God, 1 John 1 says, if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. And then that line of communication is opened. And so they, they can pray. Remember in Exodus chapter 30, remember we did several years ago the, the study through the tabernacle? And in Exodus 30, we saw one of the most important parts, but one of the most overlooked parts of the tabernacle. If you ask people to talk about the tabernacle, they'll certainly talk about the altar. They'll talk about the, uh, the, the, the Holy of Holies. Uh, they'll talk about the mercy seat. But probably one of the last articles of furniture anybody will talk about is the laver. And you'll remember the laver was there for one purpose. Exodus chapter 30 and verse number 18. Listen to what the Bible says. It says, You shall make a laver of bronze with its base also of bronze for washing. God says, And you shall put it between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar. You shall put water in it for Aaron and his sons. Now listen, they'd already been cleansed. They'd already been dedicated. They'd already been set apart. Oil had been poured from the top of their head to the bottom of their feet. They'd already been cleansed once. But through daily service, moving back and forth within the tabernacle, their feet became dirty and their hands became dirty. And so they needed to cleanse themselves ceremonially. God said, For Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet in water from it. For when they go into the tabernacle of meeting, or when they come near the altar to minister to me, to burn an offering made by fire, they shall wash with water. Now listen to what God says. Lest they die. God says, if they come into my presence with dirt on their hands or feet, God says, I'll kill them. Because that filth represented sin. Friend, God, God says, when you and I try to come into His presence with unconfessed sin in our lives, God's not regarding anything we've got to say. We've got to go to the laver, friend. And we've got to cleanse ourselves once again through the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and be rightly cleansed before God. So in order for there to be an effective prayer, you have to pray ceaselessly, you have to pray corporately. You've got to be saved, you've got to be sanctified. But then third is we pray, you have to pray clearly. Look what the Bible says in verse number 5. This is say, well, God, we're praying for Peter. No, prayer was offered for Peter because he was, constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. They were praying that he would be set free, that God would move. So when you pray, don't pray these vague prayers. Pray specifically. Pray that God will move and, and act. And remember, as we did our study last week, our prayer is always for the furtherance of the gospel, not the furtherance of our agenda. As we pray in Jesus' name, we're praying in His authority. We're praying literally as if Jesus would pray for this. It's for the furtherance of the gospel, the advancement of His kingdom, that His perfect will would be done. And can I say also, we're to pray confidently. We're to pray believing that God can do something. I don't mean to jump ahead to many verses, but it won't fit in later. 
it's amazing that here they were. They were praying constantly. They were playing, praying clearly. Uh, they, were, they were praying corporately together. But they didn't have any confidence. God sends an angel, frees Peter. Peter walks outside. Peter goes to the house where the prayer meeting's at. Now, literally, as Peter walks up, this is interesting. An angel leads him out of a maximum security prison, but he can't even get through a garden gate into the house that the church has established. And so there's Peter is outside, and he starts knocking on the gate. Well, the Peter inside, you know, they're all praying together. It's probably, you know, like we pray. And they're all in one court. God, we just pray that you'll set Peter free. And God, God, we know you've got the power to set Peter free. Lord, we remember when you called him, and thank you that you called us, and we're glad that we serve a God of all knowledge, and we serve a, a God of all power. And so they're praying. They're praying, I mean, heaven down. And, well, the little girl, she's playing in the yard, and she runs over to the gate, and she hears Peter. And so she doesn't open the gate. Peter, she runs inside, and they're in the room. Oh, God, would you set Peter free? Lord, we believe you've got the power, God. And you know, there's a few people crying, and people are moaning. Oh, God, set Peter free. And the little girl said, hey, Peter's outside. Hush up, child. Keep, keep, you're, you're disturbing our prayer meeting. You, you've gone mad. It, surely it can't be Peter. It's got to be an angel. Oh, God, would you set Peter free? Well, Peter's been set free, but they've got no confidence. And I fear, friend, that it's possible that we can just go through the motions of prayer because we know it's what we're supposed to do, but not really believe, friend, that God can still save a soul and God can still move. God can still turn a country around. God can still save a marriage. God can still show up on the job site and make your boss even be nice to you. God can still move. He's not lost any power. The same God that parted the Red Sea, friend, can part your need, and move. And we've got to be confident in that. We've got to believe that and pray that way. So request prayer. And they did. And Peter did. And God moved through, through the midst of it because of that. So we see we've got to remember that and trust that God has a plan. Tell your need to God. But number three, as you face hardship, take comfort in God's Word. I'm so thankful for the promises of God that we can turn to that can bring us assurance in these days. Remember in Mark chapter 4, Jesus had told his disciples, you know, we're going to the other side. That's what he told them. As they began to move across the Sea of Galilee, now a great storm arose. And water started getting in the boat. It's okay when there's just a storm, but now water's in the boat. And you remember Jesus is just sleeping. And the people began to cry out, Lord, don't, don't you care that we perish? Well, they forgot one thing. Jesus told them that we're going to the other side. He didn't say we're going to the middle of the lake and drown. He said we're going from this side to the other side. But he didn't tell them that there wouldn't be any storms. And I want to remind you, God never promised us that there wouldn't be hardships and storms. He never promised that water wouldn't get in your boat. But he did promise that you'll make it to the other side. It may be by grave or it may be by air, but friend, you're going, if you've been saved, friend, heaven is where you're going to end up. You're going to make it. Water may get in your boat, but you're going to make it. And we need to remember that and take comfort in God's promises. Well, Peter remembered. Look what the Bible says in verse number 6. James has been killed. Peter's been put in this 
high-security prison, he, they're telling him, look, as soon as this holiday's over, your goose is cooked, buddy. You should, we, you should have seen James when we killed him. We're going to kill you the same way. Well, I can't speak for you, but if I knew, you know, they were, I could hear him sharpening the axe, I'd have faith that God's got a plan. And if this was God's plan, it's sure not what I would have picked. But I don't think I'd be sleeping well. This would be a good time for a nap. I think I'll take one last good nap. No, I think I'd be sitting up, remembering or trying to write my wife and kids something, scribble down. I'd be trying to use my time doing something. But look what the Bible says about And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping. Sleeping? How could Peter find any comfort to be sleeping? Because he remembered the words of the Lord Jesus. John chapter 21, verse 18. Jesus had already told him how he was going to die. And this wasn't the way. God wasn't done with him yet. Don't you listen to me, friend. You are immortal until God's through with you. And then he'll take you home. There's nothing, friend, Satan cannot thwart what God wants to do in you and through you. It's appointed to man once to die and then the judgment. And that for us will be not at the great white throne, but at the judgment seat of Christ. When your time is over, friend, I don't care where you run. I don't care how much Geritol you drink. All of you oil sniffers, I don't care how many essential oils you lick and drink and hang around your neck. When your day is done, it's done. You're done. And that hurts us that are left behind in relationships because we've got to deal with the loss. But when it's over, when God's through with you, He's through with you. But there's a reflexive to that, friend. If God's not through with you, Satan can't touch you unless God allows it. You're immortal in the will of God. And so there was nothing. Peter was just on, he was on sabbatical. God was just giving him a little vacation away from ministry. And so he, just, he took comfort in God's Word that God was working. Take comfort in the knowledge that God is at work in your life when hardships come. God's doing something. I had the blessing of having a pastor at East Gadsden Baptist Church who, who came, he was a retired pastor, came, his name was Brother Bill Harbison. And one of the things he would always say when challenges and hardships would come up, he says, well, let's just wait and see what God's up to. And that's good advice. When challenges and hardships come, we keep moving, we keep, we keep being faithful, but we, we wait to see what God's up to. How's God going to work this out? How's God going to use this? Because God has promised He'll never leave me, He'll never forsake me, He has an abundant plan for my life, and He's going to work it out somehow for good. And I can take comfort in that. helps me when I watch the news. And see all the absolute foolishness that's going on in our country and in our government. God's going to work it out for good somehow. Somehow. God's going to work it out. I take comfort in His, His promises. He has a plan for our life. Daniel chapter 5 and verse 23. God, the Bible says, God holds the breath of your enemies in His hands. You remember that, friend. There's no one who stands against you, used by Satan to thwart what God wants to do in your life that couldn't draw, they can't draw their next breath unless God allowed it. That means every senator, every congressman, every wicked judge, 
every politician, whoever it is that stands against the will of God in these days and the clear teaching of God's Word, they can't draw their next breath unless God allowed it. Our God is sovereign. So we take comfort in that. God's promises. God always has the last word. And people mock the Bible and mock the will of God. Boy, I'm so thankful I'm going to be able to be around for the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ. Aren't you? To watch Jesus have the last... For literal thousand years, He's going to sit on this earth and rule as King of kings and Lord of lords. And the Bible says He'll rule with a rod of iron. We'll see that at a press conference. One of these liberal media people tried to twist it. The Bible says, with a rod of iron, wham, we'll hear no more from you. Any other questions? With a rod of iron and righteousness, friend, he'll have the last word. He'll always have the last word. And that brings me comfort. He's always at work. And even if I die, friend, Job 13, 15, Job said, though he slay me, Job says, God, please give me rest. You've taken my children. You've taken the resources to supply for my family. My friends have turned against me. My wife's no help to me. I'm covered in these bowls. I'm in such torment. God, would you please? And I don't even know why you've allowed this. What'd I do? Job said, though you slay me, I'll still trust in you. He says, I'll take comfort in your promises. And then number four, friend, to deal with hardships as we live on mission. Thoroughly obey God's word and God's will. Whatever God has said to do, do it. Whatever God has said to stay away from, stay away from. Whatever God has said don't do, don't do. And then when the precious Holy Spirit speaks God's specific will where the Bible is silent to your heart and gives you peace, do it. Some of the greatest words, friends, spoken in all of Scripture were from the mother of Christ. As he began his earthly ministry at the wedding of Cana, she gathered those around her with him, and she says, whatever he tells you to do, what'd she say? Do it. Just do it. Thoroughly obey his word and will. Well, look what the Bible says in verse number 7 of Acts 12. Now behold, the angel of the Lord, Peter's asleep, stood by him, light shone into the prison, struck Peter on his side, and raised him up and says, now arise quickly, get up. And his chains fell off his hands. So what had him bound, now it's gone. And the angel said to him, Now gird yourself. I like this. There wasn't anything miraculous took place. I mean, the angel didn't blink his eyes, and now Peter's got all of these, you know, outside clothes on. I mean, for better lack of words, he's got his pajamas on, so to speak. He's taking a rest. He's taking all of his street clothes off, and they're laying in the pile and says, All right, now look. Arise quickly, get on up, but gird yourself. Now, Peter, put your shoes on. And so he did. Now, now put your garment on and follow me out. No rush, no, no be quiet. I mean, God was, just, God was just overruling the situation. Don't miss this, friend. If Peter had not obeyed the Word of God and the will of God, guess where Peter would have stayed? In prison. God begins to move in our lives as we pray and we seek His direction and we wait on Him. Well, now, I don't want to do that. Well, now, I'm not going to do that. And we end up staying right in the situation rather than just following God. 
And so when we face crises and hardships, friend, listen, thoroughly obey God's Word and God's will. The Bible says, verse 9, He got up and He did these things. There is no substitute for obedience. There's none. And we live in a day of substitutes. You know, there's, you know, real Coke will make you fat, so we drink zero Coke or Diet Coke. You can't eat real ranch. It's got too much mayonnaise in it, so you get light. And can I just say, everything light, I'd just rather not even eat it if you got to eat it, because it's, it's also light on taste. When it says fat-free, it, that fat literally means taste-free. Well, we've taken that same thought, and it's, 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 it's come to the church. Well, we'll have obedience light. You know, God will serve you, but now, you know, just, just casually. Casually. Listen, there's no substitute for obedience. There's no substitute for full and total repentance. There's no substitute for full and total commitment. And there's no substitute for full and total obedience. You can't ride the fence. You can't fake it. There's no Trojan horse. To obey means to obey. To do. It's not enough just to know God's word and will. We must, the book of James says, we must be doers. Because no one's not enough. It's just self-deception. So he got up. And because he got up, God led him out of prison. Remember Exodus 14, 15? Moses is leading the people out. He's obeying the word of God and the will of God. Well, they come to a, they come to a crisis. Egypt's behind them, all the army, and the Red Sea's in front of them. And the Bible says God parts the Red Sea. Well, Moses decides to have a prayer meeting. He just begins prayer. God, we need your help right now. Remember Exodus 14, 15? The Bible says, why cries thou out to me? God says, what are you praying for? Walk! Friend, there's a time to pray and there's a time to act. And when God begins to move and to try to lead us out of that difficulty, follow God out. And I've met people in ministry, friend, for whatever reason, they want to live in the valley their whole life. And you may be one of those people. You're just, you're not happy. Matter of fact, you get depressed when God tries to lead you up to the mountaintop. Well, what's God? I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna fall off again. Well, you may, but thank God for what time you had on the mountain. And the sun's shining. But it's just like some people, everything's always saying, hey, you know, it's just all bad. Well, friend, there's some good... Are, are you still saved? Then praise the Lord for that. Is Jesus still on the throne? Then praise the Lord for that. But that negativity just begins to affect other people. And you really begin to wonder, friend, do you have any of the goodness of God in your life? We're all going to have hardships, challenges, and adversities. But if you focus solely on the negative, friend, you're never going to see God at work. Peter just kept staring at those chains and said, it's all bad. Well, the chains are already on the floor, and he just keeps hunkering. I'm just going to look at them. And meanwhile, the prison door is open, and God says, go. And that means, friend, when you walk out, you can't keep telling everybody about how heavy the chains were and how stinky the prison cell was. You know, I, one of my favorite stories in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego You'll get cast into the fire and Jesus shows up with them. Well, they come out of the fire. And friend, listen, even the smell of the fire wasn't on them. They left the fire behind. A lot of people, friend, listen, they end up in the fire, but they bring the smell with them. 
And they want everybody to smell it for the rest. And if you can't smell it, they're going to grind your nose in it till you do. Because they get all the glory. Rather than just saying, it was bad, but look what Jesus has done. He set me free. He opened the doors. And he worked. So thoroughly obey God's word and God's will. And it takes faith. It takes faith. Don't, and don't, what if? Well, what if? Friend, listen, when God says move, move. Just obey him. James 4.17. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. If Peter would have stayed, he would have sinned against God. And then fifth, when you're facing hardships and trials and God moves, testify to God's faithfulness. Look what the Bible says in verse number 17. So he ended up in their house. They didn't have any faith. But motioning to them with his hands to keep, to keep silent, because he didn't want there to be an uproar, uh, he, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. He said, well, you know, I just kept praying, and uh, I, I just had enough faith, and uh, I just willed God. No, friend, he just said, the Lord did it all. The Lord did it all. How'd you get out of prison? How'd you get out, Peter? Jesus did it all. And they heard that. So now don't miss this. Who got put in prison later? Who in that house that was standing there saw a living testimony of God's faithfulness and they remembered Peter coming in saying, look what the Lord has done. God did this. And there's some of you that have gone through hardships and trials just like this. You've been in the dungeon. You've been in prison. You've been in the fire. And God led you out. Can I just say, friend, listen, you know, don't talk just about the hardship because that, that gives you the glory. That's that will bless your heart. Just talk about how God brought you out. And give him the glory. And listen, it's going to encourage someone. Well, if God worked in Peter's life, he doesn't love me any less than he loves Peter. He'll work in my life. And what, that's, a, but that's good that can come out of the hardship is that it can encourage someone else that God will be faithful in their life. Everybody look at me. Has God called us to live on mission in these days? Yes or no? We're going to face hardship. You're going to face it one-on-one, -on -one, relationships, on the job. The devil's going to work through whatever avenue he can to discourage you and to thwart the effectiveness that you desire to have for other people to be saved, and grow in God's Word, and to encourage them. He's going to stand against you. So you're going to have a choice to make. You can just quit and take it personal, or you can let some of these steps from this passage guide you and encourage you how you can have victory over hardship as you too seek to live on mission. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. You can't begin to serve God if you've never been saved. Listen, it's not about being a member of the church or being religious. The single most important decision, listen to me, you're ever going to make in your life is what you do with Jesus Christ. Whether you'll trust Him to be Lord of your life or whether you're going to be Lord of your life. If there's never been a moment where the Spirit of God convicted you of your lostness, and someone shared with you what God's Word says about how God loved you so much He sent Jesus to die in your place on the old rugged cross, and you chose to turn from your sin 
and trust Christ to be Lord of your life. There's never been a moment where you've done that. You need to do it today. You need to do it. You need to get it settled. You need to be born again. doesn't matter what sin you've committed, how far you've sunk into sin's barrel. His blood will cleanse you. God will forgive you. He'll give you spiritual life if you'll only turn and trust Him today to be Lord of your life. Won't you do that? Silently where you sit, if you're not sure if you've ever been saved, you know you've never been saved. Turn and trust Jesus today to be Lord of your life. Tell Him so. Tell Him your desire to do it in a simple prayer like this. And you've got to mean it from your heart. Pray just like this. God, forgive me, a sinner. I turn from all the sin that I've committed to you. Forgive me. Today I believe, Jesus, you died for me on the cross. And my single desire right now is that you'll come live in my heart and be Lord over all my life. Shape me, mold me, make me into the person you want me to be. That's my desire today. If you prayed that prayer, you meant it with all your heart. I want to invite you to step down to where I'm going to be standing in just a minute. All our heads will be bowed. Every eye will be closed. No one's going to see you but me. I'm going to invite you to make your way down to where I'm standing and say, I prayed that prayer. I trusted Christ. I only do this so I can pray for you. I wonder if there's someone who's going through a crisis and a hardship today. Would you just slip your hand up into the air just easy or I can see it? Yes, ma'am. Anyone else? Yes, ma'am. Anyone else? Anyone just going through a hardship or a difficulty today? God knows all about it. He saw it. He wasn't surprised about it. And he's allowed it for whatever reason, either through his perfect will or his permissive will. Trust him. Believe that somehow he's going to work it out for good. Keep turning to God through prayer. Enlist other believers to help you pray for that situation. Won't you obey God as he moves? Won't you give him all the glory, friend, when he does move? Even if it wasn't the path that you chose, would you just give him all the glory, knowing somehow he's going to work it out for good? Father, I pray that you'll encourage us, and I pray that as we seek to live on mission in these days, God, we know we have an enemy who's going to stand against us. God, I pray he'll never turn us aside from faithfulness. There's nothing that can turn us back. Oh, God, encourage us from your word. Speak to us. God, there's other decisions that need to be made today. Someone's been saved, but they've never followed you in believer's baptism. There's someone here today, maybe, God, that's got unrepented sin in their life. They need revival today. God, I pray that they'll respond to the voice of your Spirit. We just simply ask, your perfect will be done right now as we respond to your invitation. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Let's reverently stand to our feet. Heads are...